Welcome to Startup Nation Voices, a podcast of Startup Nation Mentorship and the World Jewish Congress. Startup Nation Mentorship pairs extraordinary college student leaders with top Israeli industry and government mentors. We currently operate on 20 campuses in six continents and enable students to develop meaningful, lasting relationships with Israelis who are in the center of the dynamic global economy and hub of innovation. In Voices, we bring on top Israeli and international leaders to share a deeper look into their industry and personal background, exploring the importance of mentorship and partnership with Israel. Hello, everyone. My name is Ilan Arnowitz, and I'm the Director of Mentor Relations for Startup Nation Mentorship. I'm here with Or Ben Oz, the former founder of Rewire, who's currently working on Element, a platform for personal finance creators. Or is also an alum of Y Combinator and IDC, and an experienced entrepreneur. Or, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Hey, Lan, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm really excited to be part of your awesome podcast. Of course. So we'd love to start by just learning more about your background, maybe by focusing on the entrepreneurial experiences that you've had that have led you to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so as I said, like I'm excited to be to be having this conversation. So um, and also it was like really great to kind of like that we get an opportunity to reflect about the entrepreneurial journey. Um, and how how we even got here. Um, focusing on sort of like my entrepreneurial experience, I guess, you know, as a kid, we all had our our own our own side hustles, our own hustles, like trying to to grow and and sort of like be entrepreneurial as children. But my first like professional, uh, I guess, experience was probably at school. Um, I studied, I ended up studying accounting originally. I thought I was going to be an accountant. I studied business. I was at IDC. Um, and I guess like three months into school, I understood this isn't really a good fit for me. Um, my parents are both software engineers and I was trying to be like a little bit, you know, not go with the flow, not go exactly as in their path and sort of create my own. Uh, so after about three months of studying uh, business and accounting, I, I realized that I want to get more hands-on experience. And I started an app for printing photos online in 2009, 2010. Um, and I was super lucky because that helped me get into the Zell Entrepreneurship Program at IDC at school, which was a, really the first proper entrepreneurial experience I had. Uh, so the Zell Program, are you familiar? Have you heard of? Have you familiar with it? I am. I actually went to University of Michigan, where <laughs> Zell is a big component within the entrepreneurial ecosystem there. There big, you go. Big fan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, Zell, the Zell Entrepreneurship Program, you know, shout out to them. Um, Program at IDC, 20 kids from, from, from different schools uh, come together to groups of three or four and, and work on real-life ventures, right? So funded by Sam Zell Chicago, like you said, um, we study in the morning, you know, you come to school and you study the academic aspects of entrepreneurship. And then after school, you divide into your team and you really work on your, on your, on your venture. And in between, you get put in front of a lot of VCs and a lot of startups. So it's a great opportunity to tap into the ecosystem. Um, so that was, I, I guess, like one, probably one of the first real entrepreneurial experiences. And then really lucky to be, I was, at, as part of the program, I, I, I was introduced. I met Mark Gerson, founder of Gerson Lerman Group, GLG, uh, Thusio, among other companies. And 
chairman of uh, United Atzala, an amazing organization with a huge mission, absolutely worth uh, taking a look at that. Uh, so spent a couple of years with Mark, um, helping him, building his companies, sometimes helping understanding investments in those, into those companies and a lot of philanthropical work. Very yeah. cool. Or I'm curious before we, we move on to the rest of your career, because it is so uh, dense and, and well-versed, tell me more about that first entrepreneurial experience in 2000, 2009. I, I've always been curious about kind of the initial experiences that start the rest of the trajectory for people's careers. If you had to be kind of specific and, and really critical as to what about that experience led you to the path that you were on? Was it the actual founding of a company? Was it being in the cohort with other entrepreneurs? Maybe just uh, share more about that. It was, it was such a long time ago, <laughs> you know, uh, but um, I think that one of the first realizations I had when I went to school was um, I took a look at sort of, you know, like everyone who's sitting around me uh, at class in accounting school. And I looked on to the right and I looked to the left and both those students were way ahead of me, much more passionate about about the area. And I felt that, you know, personally, I would never be able to excel when I don't have that passion for, for, you know, for, for reading books of, of other companies. Um, and so that, and so that I think was a realization, like, what do I really want to excel at? What do I really want to be really good at, feel comfortable at? Um, and personally, I was passionate about entrepreneurship. And so going to school and seeing that, like, I'm on, on a, on a road to being very mediocre at what I was supposed to be doing, was like that's not a it's not a, a real output for me and I had to like really think about how I want to grow up and how I want to be like grow up professionally um where I want to take that interesting yeah I, I think that makes a, a, a lot of sense and props to you for being a young kind of very introspective individual that had the foresight to know where your intuition wanted to take you and where it didn't so you worked at Gerson Lehrman, and then you transitioned into the world of, of fintech. So what drew you to fintech? Why did you choose this market to delve into? Yeah, so it was, um, I, think, uh, I think it was a mix of things. Um, from top of my mind, you know, like what got me into fintech was a bunch of research. Uh, crypto 2013 was sort of like, you know, it was the first time I, I heard of, of crypto uh, PayPal was another reason I decided to join in. And then I guess like personal passion, uh, for the space and timing. Um, so personal passion standing point, um, I spent a couple of years with Mark sort of like apprenticing for him. And I had another year of academic aspects of entrepreneurship. And so coming from there, I thought, you know, this might be a good time to actually dive into my first full, full-time venture. Um, and that led me on, on, on a path that said, you know, starting a company is really, really hard. You're going to have to wake up for the next probably seven, eight, nine years, get punched in the face first thing in the morning, wake up and then go do your day. And so what is worth it? What's big enough to keep you going when it's really, really hard? And I guess those mix of research crypto PayPal for me personally was to focus on, on financial services. Um, one thing that, that, you know, that helped me make that decision was at the time, 8 billion people in the world. And I made a, you know, stupid assumption or obnoxious assumption that 
everyone in the world makes two transactions a day. And so that's probably like 16 billion transactions times that, multiply that by 365 days a year. I mean, there's a lot, it seems like a pretty big market. Definitely, definitely. So to be able to kind of take this huge market and, and to create uh, or rather solve a need for these people that are trying to transact across borders seemed like a problem that was is worth getting punched every morning. That was one of them. Absolutely. So financial services as a whole. And, you know, I took a look, a much closer look at, at several different industries. And eventually, uh, I guess I discovered the cross-border payments industry. And I was personally intrigued by why it's so expensive to take a shekel out of Tel Aviv and turn it into a peso in the Philippines or uh, a rupee in India. 100%. And you mentioned kind of your early interest in cryptocurrencies. Uh, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain is a topic that interests me and I've been spending a lot of time in recently. Tell tell us more about, about that, kind of what, how, how you became involved originally and maybe more about kind of the ability to solve the cross-border payment problem. How do you see cryptocurrencies addressing that issue? Right. Um, okay. Going into crypto, it's important to give a big disclaimer. I, I'm no expert. I'm no expert in crypto. I, I have no, like, honestly, <clears throat> I was, I was, um, I guess I was exposed to it first time in like 2013 in New York, a bunch of people in the office were talking about it. Um, I took a look and I was, I'm really happy. I was, I did that because that sort of like introduced me to financial services as a whole, learning about the different aspects crypto is supposed to bring. Um, Back in the day when I was working on cross-border payments, among among others, then yes, crypto was supposed to solve this supposed to solve this this pain. And I was looking at the two industries, right? There's like the crypto industry, and then there's the incumbent industry, and they barely speak to one another. Um, and what I felt at the time was that there was a gap between how crypto enthusiasts and the crypto community perceives privacy to what regulators are willing to accept. And there's that that big gap, I think, is still exists today. Um, and until we don't really close that gap of helping, you know, on one hand, keeping the privacy of the consumers, but on the other hand, making sure that the regulator has all the information that they need in order to transact, you know, let's say kosher in a kosher way. So that was sort of like our that that was that was how I realized it at the time. And at the time, when you work at the financial institutions, you have to choose which route you're going. If you're either going a crypto route, or you're going an incumbent route. And if you want to build a business, we made a decision at the time that we were going to go the incumbent route. Interesting. So since you made that decision uh, when when founding the international border border payments, um, to kind of now, I guess I'm curious uh, on your reflection. Do you still think that that was the quote unquote right decision? And since then, have you seen a more intertwining of the incumbents and cryptocurrencies so i guess you know at the point that that decision was made like seven eight years ago right um i think at the time it was the right decision to make um i think that mass adaptation of crypto you know you really have to think about like if we send crypto right now you know into india so do the people that are receiving the crypto do they have a way to use it can they actually pay rent with this crypto can they buy groceries with this crypto so that's sort of like, that's what, what we really need to focus on, how people can utilize these coins around the world. Until then, I think, you know, it doesn't matter what I think, but um, I think that over time, I, I don't think it was, it was I don't think it was a, a mistake 
to not do the crypto. I think that at the moment, there are still two, three significant risks in the blockchain technology and, and the crypto space in general. Like, How do governments look at this? What are their reflections on the monetary policy? Uh, what do regulators think about this? So until those risks aren't, aren't I'd say, addressed by the crypto industry and the regulators, then I think that it's really hard to build on top of. And, you know, Ripple is one example um, that have been, you know, SEC was not very happy about how they operated their business over the past seven years. And so personally, I don't want to be in that position. Right. Right. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what's interesting to me is that it's still hard for regulators to understand or to classify cryptocurrencies as currencies or assets or securities, right? How do you classify what kind of seems like all these different categories and the regulation that's imposed will determine, will, will depend on how they're classified. And they're still figuring that out, obviously. Absolutely. I do think, however, that we're getting to a, an, a point, we're approaching a point where you're going to see the regulators say, you know what, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, and I don't, I think the model, the solution is going to be a hybrid solution uh, that consists of both parties uh, both sides, basically their concerns and addresses it. I think tech companies and the government are going to cooperate on building the next generation of, of stable coins, cryptos, uh, but it's not as dis- decentralized as we know, as we see it is today. Sure. Sure. Which is, which is definitely exciting to see because once regulators kind of become on board and, and allow for technological innovation, then that's when you see this huge kind of breakthrough. So yeah. that's, I, I, I hope you're right. And, and I think you are. I, I agree with you. Absolutely. So, or you're currently working on Element, which is a platform for personal finance creators. What does that mean? Um, and, and tell us more about what Element is. Yeah, yeah. Um, personal finance creators, right? It's like, it's a old, new, new, old uh, term. But Element is a platform that uh, empowers person-to-person relationship allowing consumers to get better access to financial services. Uh, I think we're in a very interesting space where we're building tools for these creators to help them build a better relationship with their audiences. So it's kind of like a Shopify for personal finance. We're helping these creators build their stores, build their business, a sustainable business on top of our platform. Uh, The place we're coming from is that we've seen a huge shift in trust. Right, so trust levels in brands, search engines, incumbents are at an all-time low, and in the meantime, rise of social media and YouTube over the past ten years, fifteen years, uh, it put tens of millions of people around the world, give them access around the globe uh, to start documenting their skills, their voices, and their strategies. And so, what's happening is that there's a huge shift, and and our goal is to provide provide those creators in the finance space the tools they need that to build a sustainable business, to capture that the demand that they already have. Cool, cool. So you're putting more power into the hands of the creators instead of kind of these centralized platforms like YouTube and social medias. Right, All, everything with the, with the context of personal finance, right? So if you're making content on personal finance on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, you have an audience, your audience reaches out. How are you talking to them? Where are you talking to them? What value are you giving them? And those are some of the tools that we're helping these creators basically build a better relationship with their audiences by giving them insights, by giving them access to, to, to educational materials, to courses, to classes, uh, to one-on-ones, to templates, 
uh, to portfolios, to reviews, to information, but basically the tools that we used to know that were only accessible for people who work in these big incumbents, we're kind of just building that and putting it out on the internet um, as a software piece and allowing different types of creators with the knowledge and the personal finance to take the next step forward and get closer to their audiences. Definitely. And how how has the process been? I, I know it's recently, you know, you, you've recently started, but how has it been? Have there been challenges? Have you been able to overcome obstacles because of your entrepreneurial previous experience? It's been hard. <laughs> you know, uh, generally, I think uh, generally entrepreneurship is extremely hard. Um, I mean, the growth to begin with, you know, how do you when you grow a company, then you need more resources. And what resources do you need? Do you need? And how do you know what to prioritize on? And how do you make sure that everyone is working towards the same goals? Right. Um, generally, you know, growing companies for seven, 10 years, how do you, as an entrepreneur, how do you make sure that your mental health is on point? How do you make sure that your physical health is on point? Um, so, I mean, a bunch of different types of challenges throughout the whole journey. Um, overcoming them is being aware. Is, is being aware and like there's two levels one on the entrepreneurial level and then on the personal level like where do you need the most attention right how do you sort of like better become a better team leader how do you work together on communication how do we succeed together as a team so always always interesting and always challenging on the entrepreneurial journey um if you believe in it enough i mean you're going to move forward so keep your eyes on the prize Definitely. In terms of being aware as a way to overcome challenges, that it's it's something that that's interested me a lot. This idea of you know maybe mindfulness, awareness of what's happening, and kind of being able to take a step back from you know being bogged down in the weeds. How how are how do how do you do that as a founder? Right when you're caught up in the day to day, there's so much going on. Everything is a fire to burn. How do you kind of take a step back and just be aware and contextualize everything? <clears throat> Good question. Um, I think that it's like, it's a mix of, of it's a mix of, um, it's a mix. It involves discipline, or just awareness. You know, that you want to focus, you want to reflect, you want to put time on your calendar to be yourself. I think it has to do with the people you surround yourself. So family, friends, right? sounding board how much how long have you been in the weeds for did you come up for air over the past two weeks and then finally also um it's team and your your part in the team it's the culture that you together with your team uh you develop like how much do we appreciate time off how much do we appreciate work-life balance how do we you know make sure we're holding each other accountable to not get burnout or to focus on and put our energy in the right things i think that you know the more sort of the more experience it helps to sort of understand where you want to focus on um, and how you want to focus your time on. And so it's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of communication around. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a lot easier kind of said than, than done when you're, when you're bogged down, like you said, in the weeds and, and how it's so hard to just come up from, come up for air at, at different points. And so maybe building on, on that idea on, on other lessons you've learned what advice might you have for maybe first-time founders? Let's say one of our audience members is uh, fresh out of college and they're interested in just being an entrepreneur. That's their passion. They want to be a founder. What general advice might you have for them to keep in mind? 
general advice for first time founders. I think that, you know, being a founder is not, it's not the, it's not, the, I don't, I'm not sure it's the goal. It's the mission, right? I think it, it's a mix of, it's a mix of, um, of different, of different things that take you down that path. And so if you do, if you are right now, like, you know, you're about to finish school and you want to start a path and it's really about, you know, what, what path should I take that I'm most passionate about, right? As an industry, as a whole, because inside that industry, you're going to keep on moving time after time again. Within that, it's like, what type of role do I want to take? What type of founding? Like, how do I imagine my life? Am I more product? Am I more R&D? Am I more sales? Uh, am I more management? Um, and then start building and getting the skills and exposure and value you need to go deeper into that hole. Today, it's really easy to become an expert in almost any field. Um, all the information is out there. There are online communities. You can connect with anyone and get deep knowledge in different in different capacities. So I don't think that you need to wake up in the morning tomorrow morning and say, hey, first thing for me is to become a founder, but it's actually like a path to go through. You want to make sure that you know you understand that you want to understand, you know, what the risks are, what the what the downside, the potential downside could be. Um, so those would be the, the first things and then put together a team and start making music. Yeah. I, I like that distinction of being a founder is not the goal. It's it's the means to an end, right? And I think what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, like you said, you don't just wake up wanting to be a founder and then trying to find a problem to address. You have a natural inclination to solve a problem. And then being a founder is just the way that you're able to solve the problem. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. Or Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Um, this is sure. just so fascinating to be able to delve into your extensive entrepreneurial background, specifically with, within fintech. You are clearly a, a master and well-versed within the fintech realm. And so thank you for your time. Absolutely, Lana. It was a, a lot of fun. Thank you for considering me. I'm happy to connect with any, any founder who is considering Amazing. And one last thing, if any of our audience members is a creator and they want to help or become customers or be involved in Element, what would you recommend they do? Go to withelement.com and sign up. Perfect. Withelement.com. Or it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Elon.